Well, I guess that means I have to wear a tie for Easter, doesn't it? Uh, I, have, I, I have a pink tie. I will probably bust that out for Easter just so I'm ready for that photo booth. Uh, so excited. Uh, Shanty Clancy, principal from St. James Elementary. Many of you will know she is also a photographer, is going to gift us with that. We're so excited uh, for you to come out. And seriously, y'all, Easter is going to be ch-amazing, ch-amazing. Just come on. It's, it, you will not want to miss it. Uh, we've been planning this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, we got big tent. It's going to be like old school tent revival, right? You remember, some of y'all grew up in that, right? I didn't. We'll fake it. I mean, we're going to fake it. It'll be like tent revival with electric guitar. Can we do that? That'll be, we're just going to have a good time. I hope you come out. Uh, well, I do want to say happy Palm Sunday to everyone joining us online. Uh, I've had so many conversations this week. So many of you worshiping with us faithfully week in, week out online. And uh, I know many of you, talked to a couple of you, have been doing that every single week for the last 52 weeks, uh, and you just got your vaccines this week. Uh, and I'm hopeful that you'll consider coming out and joining us in person. We want you to feel safe uh, as well. So if you need to stay home and do it online, please feel free to do that. But I hope you guys will do your best to come in person. What a joy it'll be to be together. Uh, Bob mentioned this is Holy Week. Holy Week. What is that? Well, uh, it's the week when Jesus heads into Jerusalem. He comes in on a donkey. You've heard that. Uh, and he comes in to be the king, the rightful king. Only he's going to be a king unlike any king we've ever seen before, right? He's going to kind of turn things upside down. Easter is more than just a Sunday morning to get dressed up or a time to gather with family. The resurrection is the central turning point of the whole story. Everything hinges on this. It's there that things move from death to life, from despair to hope, and not just with Jesus, but for you and me. So I hope you plan to join us. And maybe you know someone, maybe you know someone, particularly this year, who needs to hear that message of hope. Well, a number of years ago, a new trend developed uh, within the tabloid magazines. I won't ask for a confession about how many of you read People or Us or there's some, yeah, anyway, we won't ask, but there's a little trend that developed and it was called the Just Like Us trend. Y'all know this one, the Just Like Us? Apparently, we, we love our celebrities. We think they live these glamorous, extraordinary lives, but we love those moments when our celebrities or our, our, our idols or famous people do ordinary things just like us, right? So I pulled a couple of these out. I, I thought these are kind of funny. Apparently, just like us, Reith Wither, Witherspoon has to pay for parking, right? Who knew? I thought maybe they got a free pass, right? Or, or like this one, uh, apparently celebrities, when they go to the grocery store, get this, they have to use baskets. <laughs> or, 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 or this, this, I'm not sure if this is true. Apparently, just like us, they like lettuce. I don't know anybody who likes lettuce. That can't be true. But most significant of all, just like us, when celebrities go out on their multi-million dollar yachts, they need to have giant blow-up slippy slides just like us, right? Just like you. <laughs> well, what's my point? You get the idea here. The lives of celebrities and famous people can seem so way out there to us, so otherworldly, so extraordinary. And we love seeing them do ordinary things because it kind of, it, just for a moment, it brings them back down to earth. And I know this is kind of hard for us to fathom when we're talking about Bible characters, but there's a guy in the Bible who, believe it or not, is more famous than LeBron James. He's more broadly known than Abraham Lincoln. He has more followers than Felix, Ed Sheeran, and T-Swift combined, Right? And of course, I'm talking about the guy named Moses. 
We've been in this series uh, this year called The Whole Story. And today I'm going to try and cover Moses' life. Now there's a lot in his life to cover. We're going to camp out on a few scenes. But Moses was so famous, in the passage Bob read for us today, he's so famous that when he dies, get this, God has to hide his bones from the Israelites because he's so famous, he's so popular, God's afraid that they're going to worship Moses like a god. Like if they could just get his bones, they might build a shrine to Moses. That's how famous the dude was. But in actuality, in reality, when we read the story of Moses in the scriptures, we realize that he is rather ordinary. In fact, watch this, he is just like us. Oh, come on, Shannon, that was really good, wasn't it? That was, yeah, that was worth the price of admission right there. See, on the one hand, Moses really was an ordinary guy. He grew up in a complicated family system, ended up in, in, the, in, in the foster care program, or you might call it the Pharaoh care program in his day. He, uh, he had some real anger issues, in fact, he had a criminal record for killing a guy at work one day. Maybe you want to be just like Moses. Moses was far from perfect. And yet, and yet, this is the guy that God will use to lead his people out of slavery, through the wilderness, and to the promised land. God uses an ordinary guy named Moses to accomplish some extraordinary things. Now, why does all this matter for us today? Well, here's why. Because I think I know something about you. Whether you're a, a skeptic or, or a spiritual explorer, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you are at, my, my hunch is that you long to have a life of meaning and purpose and impact, right? You, you long to live an extraordinary life, but all too often, you feel a little bit ordinary, <laughs> You think that that extraordinary life is only for the spiritual giants, the Mother Teresas, the St. Francis's, the Moseses. But what if? What if the extraordinary life is not really all that about the extra? What if the secret to the extraordinary life is actually found in the ordinary, not in the extra? Well, that's what I want to look at with you today. And I want to look at Moses' life and look at three ordinary decisions that this guy makes that lead to an extraordinary life. Y'all track it with my wordplay here? Three ordinary decisions that Moses makes that are going to lead to an extraordinary life of faith. All right. So note takers, three things. You can bullet point those if you want. Uh, those following along at home. Here we go. First thing, a little bit of background. Moses is born a slave in Egypt. He's a Hebrew. He's living in Egypt. He's born a slave. His parents uh, give him up because of the oppression of Egypt to spare his life. They give him up. Moses' mother hides him in a basket. He ends up being found by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the court uh, with royalty. When he turns roughly 40 years old, Moses is out on the job. He's overseeing the work of the slaves, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. Moses loses his cool. He goes over, lashes out. He kills the Egyptian, looking around, not seeing anyone. He buries the guy in the sand, right? I mean, this is like, this is, this is great movie making right here. He buries the guy in the sand. And sure enough, the next day, somebody finds out and Moses has to get out of Dodge, right? He has to flee for his life out into the wilderness, which is kind of like that strange no man's land somewhere between, between Monroe and Myrtle Beach. Y'all know that? Like, just that's wilderness, right? Something there. Sorry if some of y'all are from there. I know that's pretty, pretty territory. 
Here is where we see our first decision. Was that mean? I didn't mean to be mean. I'm just, no, wilderness. Here we go. This is from Exodus 3. Let me read this to you. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, out in the wilderness, right? Got this? The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Ah, hold on to that mountain idea. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, I want you to see what is happening here. Do, do you catch this? This is so remarkable. Moses is going about his ordinary business. This is his day job. He's tending the flocks when he notices something out of the ordinary. A brush fire, a bush, this small bush that seems to be burning, but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. Now, I don't know about you, I've never tended sheep, I haven't lived in the wilderness, but I'm sure that after 40 years of wandering around this no man's land, Moses had seen a lot of strange stuff, right? He's no stranger to this territory. And it would have been all too easy for him simply to ignore this, right? Why? Okay, strange, a bush over there on fire, who knows, right? Maybe some Boy Scouts gone awry, what, whatever. He's like, why bother? But Moses doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't think, hey, I've got to get home. I've got a long commute. I've got a lot of kids and sheep to tend here. You know, he, he says, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to go over and investigate. So he stops everything he's doing. He goes over to see this strange sight. And then suddenly when he does that, God speaks. And the ordinary ground beneath his feet is transformed into holy ground. And Moses, get this, <laughs> Moses has a life-changing encounter with God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, as a pastor, I have sometimes had folks say to me, well, Aaron, if God would just speak to me through a burning bush, then I'd know exactly what he wants me to do, right? Why doesn't God give me burning bushes, Aaron? It'd be so much easier if he spoke to me the way he did Moses. But you see, that, that's not how it works. Do you catch this? God doesn't speak to Moses in the burning bush until Moses stops, turns aside, and pays attention to what God is doing in this ordinary moment. It's only after Moses has turned aside and given his attention that God speaks. In other words... If Moses had not stopped, he would have missed it entirely. You know, one of the strange truths about faith, quite honestly, one of the great mysteries of faith is that God most often uses ordinary moments in life to speak to us in extraordinary ways. In fact, in the scriptures, believe it or not, God rarely shouts. He doesn't scream from the heavens or from the mountaintops. Most often when God wants to speak, he speaks with a whisper. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us in scripture. He speaks to us in the ordinary moments of our daily lives. And if we're going to hear it, 
if we're going to recognize it, we have to slow down long enough to pay attention. Have you ever had that kind of moment in your life? Uh, you, you might refer to, you might call it kind of a God moment or a God thing. Or, or, or maybe you, just, just one of those defining moments in your life. I mean, you might not admit this to anybody, but maybe your spouse or your sibling or a, your best friend. But it was as if God was speaking to you. Have you had that kind of moment before? I remember when we uh, first had our first child, Zoe, when she was a little, little, little baby. And of course, Zoe can do no wrong according to her brothers, but she did really wrong one time. She was still under one years old. And, and um, let's be fair, I'm going to tell a diaper story. Mary Robin changed 95% of the diapers in her house, okay? Just, just, just confession. But this is one of those times, middle of the night, when Zoe had what we used to call a blowout diaper. Do you know what a blowout diaper is? Like a blowout diaper is like World War III diaper, right? It's you can't just change the diaper, you have to change the kid. You, you know what I'm saying, right? And so it's middle of the night, and, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, no sleep, new dad, all those things. And I'm changing the diaper, and I realize it's a blowout. So then I, I start a bath, I put Zoe in the bath, and two in the morning, we're just sitting there in silence, you know? And, and I had the tendency, I, I wanted to just rush it. I was like, how can I get her cleaned up, get her back to bed, or I don't know, give her to her mom so I can go back to bed, or something like that, right? But in that moment, I felt this strange invitation to just stop, just sit there. And I remember sitting there in the bathroom in silence with Zoe, watching her just rest in this warm water. And it was in that moment, it was not an audible voice, but it was in that moment that I, I think I heard God speak to me. He said, Aaron, this child has no other father but you. And my life changed in a moment, right? Have you ever had that kind of moment where you've stopped and in an ordinary moment, the God of the universe seems to be whispering right to you? Where might God be inviting you to pay attention in your life right now? Maybe you're going so fast, you're, you're, you're so busy, you're so maxed out, you don't even have space to stop and turn aside, right? Or maybe, maybe there's not space in your daily routine to, to offer a moment or a few minutes to God in prayer or scripture just to give him space to say, God, I can't force you to speak, but I want to be available to you. Where might God be inviting you to pay attention to the whisper of his voice in your life? See, Moses made a simple, ordinary decision to turn aside and pay attention, and it changed his life forever. Which brings us to our second ordinary decision. The decision to do things God's way, even when it doesn't make sense to me. All right, let's pray and go home. That one, I don't want to hear. Here we go. This, this is the one's preaching to me today. Fast forward now a few years. And uh, we come to scene two. Moses has returned to the city. He's back in Egypt. And he's led the people out of Egypt. And they are now wandering in the wilderness. But things have gotten a little challenging, right? They've run out of food. There's, there's no water. And things are getting pretty hairy. Uh, and people are about to take, take matters into their own hands. So here's Moses in Numbers chapter 20. Let me read this to you. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. 
which is kind of ironic here. But why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Oh. Now, pause for a moment. If you are a leader, if you're a boss or a manager or an owner of a company or a coach or a captain, or you've, you've tried to lead a company or a family or a team or a small group, here is what you will encounter anytime you step out to lead. You will encounter opposition, quarreling, and grumbling, right? This is just human nature. And the Israelites were professionals at this. When they left Egypt, they grumbled about Pharaoh. When they hit the desert, they grumbled about the food. When Moses was up on the mountain, they grumbled about idols. When they looked at the promised land, they grumbled about the giants. They were professional grumblers. And at this point, Moses has had it. This is where I identify with Moses as a very ordinary man. He's ready to throw in the towel. He's like saying, I'm done with these people, right? Forget it. Let's get out of here. But he decides to go to the Lord for help. And look at what God tells him to do. Moses, I want you to take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. And watch this. This is very strange. I want you to speak to that rock over there before their eyes and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. What is going on here? <laughs> well, you can kind of imagine Moses in this moment. It's like, okay, God, let me get this straight. The people are thirsty. They want to kill me. And you want me to go down and have a conversation with a rock. This is going to be a little embarrassing. And they're going to be pretty sure I've lost my mind. Lord, is this what you really want me to do? What's interesting in the next verse, what Moses decides to do, he decides he's only going to half obey. He's going to go to the rock, but instead of doing it God's way, he's going to do it his own way. Look at the very next verse. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. Okay, thus far he's good, right? But he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebel scum, <laughs> which is, I think what he really wanted to say. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. Summary, Moses blew it, y'all. He blew it. He blew it big time. Can you imagine? Had he trusted God, right? He would have had the opportunity to see God's power work in an extraordinary way. But instead, he takes matters into his own hands, literally, and he strikes the rock twice. See, so often in the life of faith, we are confronted with this decision to do what we know God is asking of us or to do what seems good in our own eyes. I can do it God's way, or I can do it my way. It's the problem that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the whole story. Y'all remember in the garden? One tree, one fruit, and human beings said, you know what, God? We're going to do it our way. So much in the life of faith, of obedience, is about trusting God, doing it his way, even when we don't understand. Maybe it means for you, choosing to forgive someone who has wronged you. 
rather than passively seeking revenge. Maybe it means choosing to manage your sexuality in a way that honors God and others, even when a, when a culture around you is just saying, hey, it's no big deal, go for it, right? Maybe it means using your power and resources to elevate others who do not have that power or those resources. Or maybe it means choosing to give financially, even when it would be simply easier to hoard it. Choosing to love those who hate you. Choosing to speak well of those who have wronged you. You see, in our world, these things do not make sense. These do not work according to the world's economy, but they are exactly the kinds of things Jesus calls his followers to do. It's why Jesus himself prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but my guess is that some of you are facing this kind of decision right now. There's something in your life, and you know, you do. You don't need anybody to tell you. You, you just know it. You know what God requires of you in that situation, but you're not sure you want to do it. You're not really sure why you should do it. You've got a lot of ideas about why you should do it differently. But you see, it's in the ordinary decisions of faith, the daily moments of obedience, that we discover the pathway to an extraordinary life. Choosing to obey God, choosing to do it God's way is never easy but it is always best. Is there a decision in your life right now where you know what God requires of you, but you're not sure you want to do it his way? Now, I made a little note to myself on the drive over right here. In fact, I was talking with my son about this. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, here's your homework assignment for tonight. You ready? Mom and dad are going to love this one. They, they might leave the church after this. Here's your homework assignment. You ready? Middle schoolers, I want you to ask mom and dad this week, about one decision they made in their life where they wish they could go back and do it God's way rather than their way. Happy Palm Sunday, parents. You guys enjoy that one? Mom and dad are going to help you out, right? Mom, dad, that's a good one. Good one for us as families. I'll do it too. The boys can ask me tonight. Which brings us to decision number three. Decision number three. Y'all ready? There's one last decision I want to look at in Moses' life. It's perhaps the most striking of all. The decision to live for the benefit of others. You know, of all the amazing stories in Moses' life, and y'all, there are some amazing stories, but of all the stories, I think this one might just be the most remarkable one, the one that we see at the very end of his life in the passage that Bob read to us from Deuteronomy. In that passage, Moses climbs to the top of Mount Nebo. Now, you probably don't know this, that's okay, but Mount Nebo is right on the edge of the promised land. In fact, Moses is able to look out over the promised land. Uh, scholars tell us he probably could look out and even see Galilee where Jesus would one day walk. But God will not permit him to enter. He won't let him enter because of the rock-striking moment. Interesting. And it's here that we see in Moses this, this kind of pain, right? It, we, he knows he's going to die. He knows what this moment means. And he's looking out over the promised land, the, the land that will soon be the portion that God gives as the destiny for his people. But Moses himself will not see it. His eyes last sight is the land of his people's destiny. And on the surface, this looks like a great tragedy. But there's a little hint here in the text of something different. 
Because even though we as readers like, oh, Moses, man, bummer, dude, right? We feel, we don't see any of that in Moses' heart. In the text, Moses is at peace. Seeing the promised land is enough for him because he has discovered that he is not the main character in this story. God is. And he will trust the author and finisher of faith to write the ending for him, knowing that one day God will make a way for all who trust in him to enter that promised land. So at this point, right as Moses is getting ready to die, Moses is 120 years old, which is pretty remarkable because up until that point, at least since Egypt, the longest anyone had lived in the Bible was 110 years. That was Joseph. So Moses beat that. That's pretty great. You see, this is how we can break down Moses' life of 120 years. He spent the first 40 years in Pharaoh's court learning to be somebody. The next 40 years in the desert learning to be nobody. And the last 40 years learning what God can do with somebody who has learned to be a nobody. The, author, the author David Brooks uh, has written a remarkable book I highly commend to you called The Second Mountain. And in it, he talks about two mountains that we climb in life. He said, most of us spend the first part of our life climbing the first mountain, the mountain of self, the mountain that's all about me, my success, my happiness, my comfort, my fame. And Brooks describes story after story in his book of people who, just like us, make it to the top of that mountain, only to discover the emptiness and desperation that they feel there, only to realize, what if I have been climbing the wrong mountain? And it's at this point that Brooks points out that we must make a decision. Are we going to cling to me mountain, hoping that somehow my success, my comfort, my fame might finally deliver the goods we're looking for? Or are we going to surrender me mountain and learn to climb a different mountain? Learn to live for the success, comfort, and benefit of others. You know, it's kind of funny. Just like us, Jesus was faced with the same decision too. At the beginning of his career, Jesus was taken by the devil up onto a mountaintop. Satan said to him, look, Jesus, all of this can be yours if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to Satan, beat it, get out of here. I serve only my Father in heaven. And so it was that years later, during Passover week, the week we celebrate right now, and just a few days after his triumphal entry, that Jesus on Friday would be arrested, beaten, and sentenced to die. Jesus would take his cross and would climb a second mountain, a mountain called Calvary, and he would lay down his life for others. Indeed, he would lay down his life for you and for me. And that's what we remember on this Palm Sunday, that Jesus, who was greater than Moses, gave his life so that you and I could enter the promised land of eternal community with God. But herein lies the challenge at least for the Christian. If you're a skeptic, if you're a spiritual explorer, you're off the hook. But if you would call yourself a Jesus follower, then we are called to follow in the way of Jesus. And once you have made the decision to receive that gift of grace and peace with God, 
there's a second question we all must answer. Who am I going to live for? Am I going to live for me and climbing me mountain, my success, my comfort, my fame? Or am I going to follow Jesus up the second mountain, living for the benefit of others? Jesus put it quite bluntly one time when he was with his disciples. He said it this way. He said, whoever wants to save their life must lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. My friends, the life of a Jesus follower, and if you are thinking about becoming a Jesus follower, you're a skeptic, you're, you're, you're wondering if you're ready to commit yourself to Jesus, here is what it means to be a Jesus follower. The life of a Jesus follower is a life of sacrifice. It is a life of sacrifice. But it is also the most rewarding, most joyful, most amazing, most abundant, most extraordinary life you will ever experience. And what if, what if God has more for you in life than just your own comfort, your own belly, your own success, and your own little me mountain? What if the meaning and the purpose and the satisfaction you really long for is found in living for the benefit of others? Well, I wanted to end today with a couple stories. And sometimes if, with pastors, there are two kinds of stories, right? You got the stories in your, your greatest hits file. That's like the sports center file, right? Those are all the good stories you pull out. And then sometimes God just graces you with stories from the week. And I had three encounters this week I want to tell you. Each will take just a minute that demonstrate this principle precisely. A couple, couple days ago, I was getting dinner with a friend who's a 12-stepper. Uh, he's been sober for over a decade, and we were talking about the 12 steps and their connection to the gospel, and it is just so remarkable. If you've never seen that connection, it, it is just amazing. And he was telling me about steps 11 and 12, that, that the healing journey for someone in AA or in a 12-step program does not stop with simply learning to admit that they are powerless over their addiction. It builds from there and culminates in them then turning and going and serving to help someone else. That's step 11 and 12. Did you know that? The healing journey is only complete when you begin to give your life away for others. And he was telling me about some of the men that he does this for in groups that he goes to still three times a week, even though he's been sober for over a decade, because he goes now because he needs to be there to live for the benefit of someone else. I've had the privilege this week of interacting with a number of you who are serving in our kid, kids' ministry or even in our remix. Did you know that every Monday night, some of the adults from this church gather right here at the YMCA simply to live for the benefit of our students? They give up an hour and a half on a Monday night, and y'all, that's precious time, isn't that? That's holy time right there. On a Monday, why would they do that? Well, they do it because they love students. They want to give away themselves for the benefit of someone else. And it's amazing. So many of you doing that for kids, doing that for Sunday, set up and pack up here, doing that for remix for our students. And then just yesterday, I heard a story that's going to make me cry. 
but one of our mothers who serves in our uh, shares ministry, this is our food ministry, that weekly, weekly, y'all, di distributes 80-plus boxes of fresh fruits and vegetables and proteins and dairy to families in need. They go door-to-door -door because it's about friendship before it's about food. And they were doing that, and there's this one woman who has just been, well, she's just been getting worse medically, and she was very, very ill. And the mom who, who volunteers said she just felt this tug on her heart. Y'all, it was like a burning bush moment. She could ignore it or she could engage. And she decided to engage and she went over to the house and knocked on the door and said, look, I, I really think you're not doing well. Will you let me take you to the ER? And the woman said, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it another time. And so the mom went home and she just kept praying and praying and praying and it would not go away. So she went back later that night and ended up finding out that that afternoon, uh, another friend had taken the woman to the local hospital here in Lincolnton, and they had shipped her downtown, sorry, uptown, because so desperate was her medical condition, her life was in danger. Because of somebody choosing to exist for the benefit of someone else. Someone choosing to pay attention to that tug on their heart, that burning bush moment, say, God, what are you doing here? A woman got the medical care she needs in a desperate time in her life. So how about you? How about you? What ordinary decision might God be inviting you to make this week? Maybe some of you need to decide right now. Okay, I need to put into practice some time daily where I'm going to turn aside. Maybe you've never done that. Various churches call it different kinds of things. Some call it a devotional. Some call it quiet time. I hope it's not all that quiet. I hope God's a little bit loud in that time or maybe whispering at least, right? But whatever you call it, what would it look like in your life to set aside time daily to say, God, I want to pay attention. I want to hear. You can pray during that time. You can just be silent. Maybe you want to do the readings along with us as part of the whole story from the reading plan. How might you practice turning aside this week? Maybe some of you are faced with a decision right now. You're kind of thinking, man, I wish I hadn't come to church today, right? But there's a decision in your life. And you know, you know, you don't need somebody to tell you. You know what God is asking you to do in that moment. But you don't want to do it. Or you don't understand why he's asking that of you. But you know the right thing. What decision would you want to offer to God in the face of that right now. Or maybe, and finally for all of us, you've been climbing Me Mountain. Maybe you're stuck on Me Mountain. You're wondering, hey, is there like a medevac that can get me off Me Mountain, get me over to the other one? And the truth is no. It's a journey, right? It's not a light switch. But what step could you take this week to begin living for the benefit of someone else? If you want to find your life, you got to lose it. That's what Jesus says. But what a life he has for you and me. Can we pray? Well, Father, this one is a tough one for me because I have felt you preaching it to me even this week as I have been preparing to share the message. And so, Lord, again, I confess to you where, where I need to prioritize your mountain and not my own. 
Lord, would you help me to follow you, Jesus, to practice the kind of love and other-centeredness, self-sacrifice, laying down my life for the sake of others that you did for us and that you call us to as your followers. Jesus, for those who have never learned to hear your voice, I pray that this week you would speak to them in those ordinary places, that they might learn how to recognize your voice, how to hear your whisper, and how to trust you as they follow you in faith and obedience. Jesus, we thank you for the example of Moses. We thank you that he is just like us, flawed and broken, and yet you still chose to use him. And that gives us hope. Would you use us, God? Would you teach us to follow you? And this week, as we remember your death and as we come Sunday to celebrate your resurrection, would you fill us with the joy that comes from knowing that because of you, because of the mountain of Calvary, we get to enter the promised land of eternity with you. Jesus, we thank you for all these things. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.